queers and stuff, and we're Allison, and we're Shan, and this is Vintage Lesbians. Hello and welcome to Vintage Lesbians, a personal journey of friendship and queer history where we try to set the record a little less straight. My name is Allison, and I started talking right as Shan put a bunch of ice cream in his mouth. Shan? Hello. We're your co-hosts, and this is Vintage Lesbian. I'm keeping that. That's our intro this week. I'm, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. You had a Stroop Waffle McFlurry there? I'm the one who decided that ice cream was a good podcasting snack. Mm-hmm. You know, it like really opens up the vocal cords. Mm-hmm. Really, it's an audio, audio delay. People love when you eat into the microphone. Oh, I know. I'm putting it, I'm going to put it back in the fridge. <laughs> okay, I'll pause it. And we're back. Shan, do not eat pretzels into the microphone. Shan? 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 It's a bagel chip. Drop drop it. But it's a bagel chip. Shan? So, Shan, how are you? Other than hungry? I am hungry and I want to eat my snacks, but I won't. Thank you. I'm not allowed. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm, I'm a, hmm, want to preface this by saying that I'm fine (laughs) and nobody needs to worry about me. That's what people who don't need anyone to worry about them say all the time. (laughs) Yup. I quit my job because I was so completely burnt out that I had a breakdown. Nice. Yeah. So I um, am not working right now. And just trying to, just trying to get back to a baseline of, You're I don't know. taking a sabbatical. I'm taking some time off of work mm-hmm. for the foreseeable future. So my body and mind can rest. Yes. Um, because uh, Chiboy's been working 50 hour weeks for as long as I can remember. At least a decade. And beyond that, I, I put like 20 hours of work a week into various other things that I do. What kind of other things do you do? There's like this podcast and like a whole bunch of other. I just, I, <laughs> I try to do so much and I just, at some point, gotta stop. No, I get that. I, I often fall into the trap of if I don't squeeze as many obligations as possible into every moment of the day, how will people know that I have worth, you know? If, if I'm not earning money with my spare time, what, the, who, what, am, I, what am I even doing? Mm-hmm. Just that's time is money, you know. Time is money. Money <clears throat> is time. Time is money. Money is power. Power is power is sex. Sex, sex is, is just power. It's power. And Janelle Monae is my girlfriend. Okay, cool. In my dreams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm okay. Unemployed. Figuring it out. Really being supported by my friends and family and loved ones. And uh, yeah, it's chill. Just How starting are- a new chapter. An interlude in your story. How are you? I'm doing great. I mean, mostly. Like, right now, I'm feeling good. Because I have next week off. I'm going to go to Portland. And I'm just going to not think about work. Oh, I'm so excited to not think about work. Today, today here on Vintage Lesbians, this podcast that we run together. This one? Yes, this one right here. Which, what about it? Um, We're going to be talking about a vintage lesbian. What? I know. It's a little (laughs) off-brand. Though, if you are interested in things being on brand, let us know. We'll put together some merch. (laughs) How are we going to afford that? We'll figure it out. Um, (laughs) No, but if you want to support us, 
and you know give us a little bit of money so we can make like stickers and stuff and magnets mm-hmm. and like pins Oh. Ooh, I want a vintage lesbian enamel I want a, pin. I a want cam- a vintage lesbian. Like a cameo. Yeah, cameo. a little cameo would look like a little brooch. Oh, oh man, man. that would be tight as hell. Anyway, it's seven bucks a month on Patreon to uh, support us at patreon.com slash vintage lespod. Um, and if you can't or don't want to do that, leave us a, a rate and a review. It's really, really important for a new podcast especially to get um, uh, ratings and reviews so that we can get in front of more people and into more ears you know spread the uh queer word it's our gay agenda that is my current gay agenda is getting more people to listen to this podcast nice this is what i'm doing right now is this podcast this is <laughs> this podcast this and podcast dungeons and dragons and dungeons and dragons are what the I... two ways i make money right now <laughs> holy shit oh this is very funny because <laughs> about like two months ago i thought to myself Gosh, what would it be like if I just quit my job and became a full-time podcaster and dungeon master? Living off of a salary of $29 a month. Hey, I make, like, some money doing D&D. Mm-hmm. Anyway, podcast time? Yes, back at it. Hell yeah. You were going to teach me about someone, and then we got distracted by... Personal life getting... stuff that we just cut out? And getting money from our subscribers, yes. Oh, yeah. Today I'm going to be talking to you about someone that we mentioned briefly at the Lorraine Hansberry episodes. Ooh. Yes. And that person is Louise Fitzhugh. And we're also going to be talking about her first published novel, which was huge in the queer community. Yeah. And that novel is called Harriet the Spy. Oh my god. Have you read I Harriet didn't know the that Spy? I have read Harriet the Spy and I watched the movie and I really, really enjoyed um, both the book and the movie. Um, I didn't know that she was queer. Yeah, she's a lesbian shit i know she had a long-term girlfriend she was open she wasn't open publicly because yeah if you laws were and then also like if people knew you were gay they wouldn't buy your book yeah laws and social stigmas mm-hmm. but yeah she was great and i would love to tell you more about her i would love to too i have to like researching this podcast is so difficult sometimes because of the laws and the social stigmas like right I, I spent literally weeks trying to find one usable piece of information on a specific Finnish lesbian that we'll speak on next week. And I just couldn't find anything more than a paragraph or two about her. And I finally fucking found like a full article about her life today. Nice. But yeah, turns out when it's illegal to be gay, you don't tend to tell anyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and people only really find. know if you have money, which I'm going to yeah. go on a rant on in just a minute. Awesome. Yeah. Louise Perkins Fitzhugh was born on October 5th, 1928 in Memphis, Tennessee. She's got a great name. She was a Libra. I just realized as I was reading this out loud, my grandfather was born on December 1929 in Memphis, Tennessee, and they could have totally crossed paths. Oh, That's whoa. wild. Damn. Okay. Anyway. So your grandfather's childhood best friend. Yes. <laughs> Louise's father was named Millsaps Fitzhugh. Millsap? Millsaps with an S. Millsaps. Millsaps Fitzhugh. Millsaps. Millsaps Fitzhugh. Yeah. That is... That's a name. That's a name. Um, He came from money, and Mm -hmm. Louise's mother came from a working class background, and they divorced when Louise was just a baby. You may notice that I didn't say Louise's mother's name. I did notice that. It's because we don't know it, and that drives me crazy we just don't Mm -hmm. 
Well, what the fuck? In the Loves of Lorraine Hansberry episode, we came across a similar situation. Uh, there was a non-famous girlfriend who didn't yeah. get documented, and history forgot her. No fame, no money. Millsaps Fatou did nothing to be remembered, aside from having a talented daughter and being rich. And what for, a monster. For the rest of us, specifically those of us who aren't wealthy, there will come a time when no one on earth knows our names. But for as long as Wikipedia is around, anyone who's interested in learning more about the author of Harriet the Spy will read the name Millsaps Fitzhugh. And it made me mad thinking about it. All right, Wikipedia is a tool of bourgeoisie. Burn I considered not mentioning his name. <laughs> I considered not mentioning his name at all so that, like, it would be even, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't for two reasons. One, I don't think we should ever go out of our way to forget knowledge. Two, I really wanted to say Millsaps fits you a couple of times, though. That's, like, those are both very good reasons. Mm-hmm. Anyway, during the divorce custody battle when Louise was a baby, Louise's mom was deemed unfit to have her. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was okay that she was forgotten or maybe unless she was just deemed unfit because she didn't have yeah, money that's another thing i was thinking like if this justice system was fair maybe it's fine but who knows it's probably more nuanced than we can figure yeah. out right now unless we can like find the case files or get our best friend aretha franklin here in her time traveling spaceship oh God, listen Allison. to the sally ride episode for more information <laughs> louise's father as i mentioned was given custody <laughs> but he yeah. had her live with her parent or with his parents, her grandparents. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Until that he happened, was able to uh, remarry. Mm-hmm. That is, that's generally what happened during that time. If a, if a mother died, mm-hmm. the kids would go to like the closest maternal family well, figure. Dad can't take care no. of kids. No, 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 no. Exception was if they already had like a governess or a nanny. Mm. Pretty dumb. And she's rarely allowed to see her mother. She saw her sometimes, but not that much. The rest of her childhood was pretty typical, but she still had all this early childhood trauma, which, as we know, strongly affects the brain. Whoa. I know. She was forced to separate from her mother. Her father, stepmother, and grandparents were all reportedly distant. And she never forgot how lonely and confused she felt during this time. She truly grasped the way that children think because of it, which became a huge influence on her art and writings later in life. So after she... Grew up, she went to a few different schools, eventually landed at Bard College in New York State. Nice. She studied child psychology, literature, and art. Um, and then she started to distance herself from the South because she became more and more liberal. She became more and more anti-racist. She began to discover that she was a lesbian. Um, and she saw these as incompatible with her Southern identity. Mm. And so she trained herself to speak with a Northern accent instead of having a Southern drawl. Hmm. I understand why she did that. But I kind of wish that she hadn't, because maybe she could have reached Southerners. Yeah, I feel that, absolutely. It's hard because we didn't yeah, um, I don't, live I don't, during that time. I didn't but... live during the time, but it just feels like if you live as the person that you are authentically, and part of that person is someone who is anti-racist, anti-fascist, um, anti-capitalist. I'm just painting a picture of my ideal person here. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Uh, just, you know, just be that person because you're not going to change any systems unless you're part of that system. Exactly. And, and authenticism is what people react to and and cling to. And if you're doing something that's not authentic, people can tell. (laughs) I wonder though, if part of that was also her trying to find a community that she could fit in. Because if she was only rubbing 
elbows with like New York City intelligentsia, they yeah, might she would mock have, her. They, they would have been. They would have looked down on her and seen mm-hmm. her as stupid, and uh, and queer people would not have let her into their circles. Mm-hmm. So I do understand why she did it. I just have feelings about not living as your authentic self. But now we have enough of a foundation from people who came before us that we can afford to live as our live as our authentic self. True. We don't give homework anymore. But guys, y'all, my gays, live as your authentic self. Do that, yes. And give thanks to Mother Martha and Sister Sylvia for letting us do this. After college, Louise moved to New York City, where she started a career drawing and painting. She had an inheritance from her grandmother, which allowed her to pursue that instead of having to get a, quote, real job. Um, So she was able to concentrate on her art. Her publisher was a woman named Ursula Nordstrom, whom I'm going to do a episode on in the very near future. Was Ursula also gay? She was gay, and she like was a huge publisher. Nordstrom family. I don't know. We're gonna find out. Oh god! But she was like a gatekeeper for a lot of children's literature. She was a publisher for Harper Row, which is now Harper Collins, and she published so many gay authors. Oh, that's amazing! Um, So stay tuned. In a couple of weeks, we're gonna talk about her. That's why you wanted to do a series on children's literature. I know, because I keep reading more and more, and they keep leading me from one gay author to another. The lady who wrote Goodnight Moon? Gay. Louise's love of art is what actually introduced her to working in young adult literature, because she started as an illustrator. One of her first works was a book called Suzuki Bean. It was a spoof of Eloise. You familiar with Eloise? Yes. Yes, everyone's familiar with Eloise, probably. Not everyone, Not everyone but, but like, the Eloise books are fairly ubiquitous with children's literature. It was a spoof of Eloise, and uh, the parents in this were beatniks, and instead of the plaza, they lived in a tiny flat on Bleecker Street in Greenwich Village. Cute. Um, it's out of front right now, but it is in high demand amongst rare book people. Ooh. In the late 50s and early 60s, Louise wrote a young adult novel called Amelia about a teenage girl who falls in love with another teenage girl. She tried to get it published, but it was rejected by all the agents she tried because yeah. of its obscenity. When she was younger, Louise had relationships with both men and women, and as she settled into her adult life, she realized that she was more interested in women, and she had several more relationships. Hmm. Um, I couldn't find out that much about her love life, but it looks like she was in a long-term relationship with a casting director named Alexi Gordon. Alexi died last year at the age of 96. Oh. She was the casting director for a number of small indie movies that you probably haven't heard of, like Mm -hmm. Sophie's Choice. Holy shit. And Scarface. Holy shit. (laughs) Are we going to do an episode on her? Maybe. I might. I might. Yeah. It's just like, I love this podcast because oh, every time so we talk cool. about someone, like, it splits off. Yeah, it's so great. Alexi eventually married a woman named Georgiana Jagliello. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> Alexi married a woman. Is that xenophobic? <laughs> no, it's fine. No? If I pull just it say, out, it's just it? say the name right. Okay. Alexi eventually married a woman named Georgiana Jagiello. Georgiana Jagiello. It's a good name. Um, Dr. Georgiana Jagiello was the first woman appointed to an endowed chair at the Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons. And, and she, she was gay. was a reproductive endocrinologist and geneticist and was a pioneer in in vitro fertilization. That's amazing. Right? Gays are incredible. Gays? Gays are the ones you have to thank for all of it. Mm-hmm. All of it. If you have a baby because of IVF and you're homophobic... Like, then just you think shouldn't, about it. You shouldn't be allowed to have children, frankly, if you're homophobic. Because if you're not ready to have a gay kid, you're not ready to have a kid. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Whoa, my mind is blown. Oh my god, that means that every IVF baby was created by a gay woman. 
Incredible. <laughs> I'm so delighted right now. Um, around 1964-65, Louise's dad died and left her a big inheritance that she lived off of for the rest of her tragically short life. Um, she used it to buy a lot of men's clothes and get them tailored to fit her body, and at that time, she vowed to never wear women's clothes again. Huh. Um, I also read Love multiple her. sources that she went by Willie among her friend group. Okay. Mm-hmm. She's like one of those really cute butch lesbians. Or like... Which is also say, trans. Or a cause of trans. She identified as a butch lesbian, but trans wasn't as much of a thing in her circle, I think. Her friend group that I mentioned, very same friend group that Lorraine Hansberry was part of. Remember? <gasps> the circles. You may remember Mary Jane Meeker. I mentioned her a couple times. Mary My memory Jane is notoriously Meeker. terrible. Uh, she is the novelist who is credited with starting the lesbian pulp fiction genre. Ooh, yeah. In her autobiography, she writes that she used to be a childhood spy, and she told Louise those stories, and Louise totally ripped her off. Oh, my God. To which Louise says... That's so funny. <laughs> to which Louise says, no, I didn't rip you off. All kids are spies. We all kind of spied around on people. Come on. <laughs> but Louise published her first novel, Harriet the Spy, in 1964, when she was 36 years old. So if you feel like you aren't starting, like, enough, keep in mind that Louise Fitzhugh published her first novel at... 36, and it was Harriet the Spy. So let's talk about Harriet the Spy for, like, a minute. Have you read Harriet the Spy? Yeah. Love what it. do you remember love, about it? Love that shit. It's so um, good. I remember that it just, like, felt like... I don't know. It just felt like a, like I was talking to a friend. <laughs> right? Well, that's what kept coming up over and over again. So for people who haven't read it in a while, or haven't read it at all... Harriet is a independent and precocious 11-year-old yeah. girl who wants to be a famous writer in, like, 64, when women weren't really writers, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, she spied on her friends, her classmates, her eccentric uh, neighbors, and she recorded brutally honest notes about them. Eventually, she loses her notebook, her, her classmates read it, shit hits the fan, it sucks for a while, but then, spoiler alert, she grows as a person and there's conflict resolution. It's great. Whoa. It's a good book. It's, like, really... It didn't feel like a kid's book where a child was writing, where like an adapt, an adult was writing down to me. Mm-hmm. It felt like they were just talking to me, just yes. like this book yeah. was groundbreaking because it was one of the first children's novels where it didn't just sort of present an idealized form of childhood from someone who didn't remember being a kid. Ugh. It was very well received critically, and it was a huge success just around the board. But it was also very controversial and banned by many schools for its quote gritty realism oh my god which surprised me when i read it because i don't see her the spy as being particularly gritty no me or neither even particularly an example of realism because no. everyone's so exaggerated but i guess it's a girl doing all those mm-hmm. things so it's pretty gritty if you think yeah. about it and like granted i i haven't read this book in like 15 yeah, years I, or something i honestly haven't read it since i was about 11 yeah but if you asked me before researching this i would be just as likely to call like a rolled doll book gritty as I would Harriet the Spy, which is to say not yeah, very likely. Like, but I like feel like they're in the same magical, genre. Magical realism with an air of creepiness. Like mm-hmm. that's the genre I mean, there's no of real... books that I really, yeah. really enjoy. I mean, her neighbors kind of creepy. Her, yeah, her neighbors like, are all there are creepy eccentric. moments, but like it's not like I could see this becoming like a Pushing Daisies style television show. Oh yeah, that would be incredible. Oh man, did you? Okay, have you seen the Harriet the Spy movie with Michelle Trapp? I've seen it, but it's been a long time. I saw that it like, was, around when it came out. That was honestly one of my favorite movies. Oh, I, let's watch it again. Let's watch it again. Do a 
Sure. I feel like it probably won't hold up, but I'd be down to do like a bonus app about Mm it. Boco. A boco. But the reason I think that it doesn't feel gritty to us and it doesn't feel like super duper revolutionary is because we were born in the 90s. And by the time we came around, the children's literature market was already saturated with realistic depictions of children. Mm -hmm. If you have any kind of personality, you could find some aspect of it reflected back to you in the character of a novel. But that wasn't true in the 60s, and that especially wasn't true for girls. Yeah. There were no adventure books for girls, really. Yeah, there's Nancy Drew. Yeah, but even Nancy Drew is kind of like... Yeah, well, that's like a comparison. She was way fucking better than the Hardy Boy books, but mm-hmm. they were... She was very sweet. She was exceedingly pretty and slender. She was in her oh, early yeah, 20s. Oh, yeah, she was like the ideal of a young lady. She had perfect hair and always wore dresses. And oh, she and was she was always getting... And, and she was always getting captured and had having to be rescued by, like, some random mm-hmm. man that she'd met. Her boyfriend, Nick. Or her boyfriend, Nick. Um, and then her old chums, Bessie and George... Did oh I get those God. right? Yeah, and they or were and so George. gay for each other. They were. Were they cousins or were they gay for each other? I don't remember. I remember them being gay for each other. I had I remember, a little bit of a crush on I remember both of them. Because George Feeling had, like, super gay vibes from George. Short hair? Yeah. Damn. Um, like, I was knocking like a baby queer who didn't know I was queer. Yeah, same. But I remember being like, oh, Bessie and George, huh? Right. And, like, Bessie, if that's her name, or Tess... I don't remember if it was Tess. I think it may have been Tess. Tess? What? Siri. What were Nancy's best <laughs> But she was described as, like, pleasantly plump, which, in retrospect, is kind of yeah, gross, but, that, like, ugh. at the time when I was reading it, best. nobody was Oh, best. okay. They were cousins. Okay. Kissing cousins? Wait. Maybe, maybe George was gay for Nancy. Mm-hmm. Or maybe in our heads they weren't cousins. And they were or maybe I just, like, was so desperate for gay literature that these two women who were best friends, <laughs> I needed them to be together. But if you can pair, like, I still, I love Nancy Drew. Like, we're bashing it a little bit, but she holds a special place no, in my na- heart. No, like, truly and awesome, once again, awesome books. If Nancy Drew didn't exist, we wouldn't have better books later. Yeah, exactly. But you can take Nancy, who is pleasant and kind and loyal to her boyfriend and her chums, Mm -hmm. and compare her to Harriet, who is a brash, judgmental 11-year-old who wore jeans, a hoodie, and high tops. Ugh, I love, I love it. Before Harriet the Spy, there was this whole genre called the tomboy story. This is the kind of story that would show girls who did rebel in that way who were Mm -hmm. tomboys. But at the end, they always embrace their femininity. Like, at the end of The Breakfast Club, when Ally Sheedy gets pretty. Oh, God. Harriet was a tomboy who didn't want to reform. She didn't care about her appearance, and her hair was constantly falling into her face. And she wasn't modest. She wasn't humble. She wasn't proper. She was one of the first flawed, which is to say realistic, protagonists Mm -hmm. in all of children's literature. She was complicated. Maybe that's why it was gritty realism, because they didn't want girls to think that this was an okay way to be. Yes, I think that's exactly it. Like, they did not want them to see this and be like, okay, well, I feel like that, so maybe this is okay. They wanted them to be, you know, feminine and pretty and proper Mm -hmm. and slender and small and quiet and, you know. You know, a girl. Gross. It's really gross. But throughout the story, she grows. People who um, tear it down for being like, this is a bad example for kids or something, Mm -hmm. they're ignoring her emotional growth towards Mm -hmm. it and how like eventually like hey don't be mean to people you know yeah like you can be honest without being a dick Mm -hmm. about it harriet yeah so in her diary she wrote observations like my mother is always saying that pinky whitehead's whole problem is his mother does his mother hate him if i had him i'd hate him no child literature would write things like that before harriet this way yeah i 
she grows throughout the story. She has the same personality the entire time, mm-hmm. and she isn't cured into a proper young lady. Mm-hmm. But she learns more compassion, empathy, and emotional intelligence as it goes on, as we were yeah. just talking about. Uh, like, in one scene, she was spying on a neighbor whose 23 cats were taken away by the health department. Mm. And she wrote, I'll never forget that face as long as I live. Does everybody look that way when they have lost something? I don't mean, like, losing a flashlight. Do people look like that when they have lost? Hmm. This book was, unsurprisingly, incredibly influential to the queer community. Whoa. Think of yourself as a baby gay in the mid-60s, going into your school library, picking out a book, and even just thinking about Harriet's clothing. We think of blue jeans and hoodies as normal for all genders of tweens nowadays. Yep. But at that time, it was so uncommon. And high tops were for boys and only boys. No girls wore high tops. Jeans weren't made for women until mm-hmm. the 60s. Like, they, I think they just started to be made for women, like, mm-hmm. in the... Because around Stonewall, mm-hmm. it was that was men's clothing because they only made jeans for men. Right. That's right. Kathleen Horning, the director of the Cooperative Children's Book Center at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, um, and she wrote an article that we'll link to in our Patreon, um, and it goes into a lot of detail about this, and I highly recommend reading it. Um, incidentally, our Patreon posts are not only for donors. I don't know if we've mentioned that early, but like if we post something to our Patreon and it's about one of these actual episodes, it's going to be free to everyone. It's just a good place to keep all of our stuff collected but horning wrote when i was 11 i didn't know i was gay i only knew that i felt different from other people even from Mm -hmm. my own family i was beginning to try to put that put together the puzzle pieces i knew i liked boys the clothes they wear the things they did but i knew i didn't want to marry one Uh, she came across harriet the spy in her school library and it changed her life it inspired her to start saving up money to buy boys clothes as her own spy uniform Hmm. and then once an old man in a grocery store called her sunny and she knew she'd made it and she said it was remarkably easy to do, and it was as deliciously thrilling as sneaking into Agatha K. Plummer's dumbwaiter, which incidentally is something that Harriet the Spy did. Horning wrote that it was as if Fitzhugh was telling us kids back in the 60s that you don't have to play by society's rules, which is the first lesson a queer kid needs to learn in order to be happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even her whole ordeal, her whole story arc being ostracized by her friends after they invade her privacy by reading her notebook sounds so much like a coming out story. Mm-hmm. And her parents' response is even to bring her to a psychiatrist for analysis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, luckily, the psychiatrist was rad and knew a lot about child psychology, like, uh, which doesn't surprise me because, because was she was... Specialty, yeah. yeah. The psychiatrist talked to Harriet, realized that she's mature, strange, smart, curious, and that she needed to write. And so he was just like, oh, your notebooks were taken away. Here's another notebook. Mm. You can scribble on it during our sessions. Yes. Yeah, that was, I think that was, like, you You just said that, and I just, like, flashbacked to, like, reading it and thinking, like, I, I don't know, it just, it, 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 like, hurt and it felt warm at the same time, just the, mm-hmm. the one person in her life who saw her and said, okay, well, you need this, so I'm gonna give you as much as I can. One of the big lessons that Harriet learns at the end of the book is that it's okay or even good to lie sometimes. Um, Her former nanny, old golly, Mm -hmm. wrote her to say, little lies that make people feel better are not bad, like thanking someone for a meal that they made even if you didn't like it, even if you hated it. But to yourself, you must always tell the truth. Sometimes you need to lie, but to yourself, you always need to tell the truth. And that was something that was so important for little queer kids in the 60s to hear. Yeah. Because it wasn't safe to not lie. But to themselves? Wasn't legal to not lie. Yeah. Always tell the truth. Always tell the truth. At the end of the book, Harriet realizes that she can do that. She can apologize for saying mean things to her classmates, even if deep down she believes that she told the truth. And she's not actually that sorry. 
Um, she doesn't falter her private thoughts at all by the end, but she becomes more careful about what she reveals and more cognizant of whom she might hurt. Mm-hmm. But she still plans on spying and writing. She grows as a person, but she doesn't change who she is. And by staying the same, she helped change the future of all children's books because all of a sudden there could be a rebel who was flawed or didn't fit in who stayed that way to the very last page, just yeah. like real human people. And those tomato sandwiches, bro, man. I've never, I don't know if I've ever had a tomato sandwich, but like, boy, I could go for a tomato sandwich, right? Is it just bread and tomatoes? It's like bread and mayonnaise and tomatoes. Oh, that's boy. That's what a tomato sandwich Hell is. Hell yeah. Let's fuck up a tomato sandwich later. Hmm, probably not. Oh, man. I mean, you want to throw some bacon and lettuce on there? Ooh, yeah. That's a bolt. Man, I could go for a bolt. Um, I wish we had just like someone to bring us food on command, but also and, like, we didn't not have to give them pay money. For it. <laughs> yeah. Any thoughts about Harriet the Spy before we start wrapping up? Mm-hmm. It was a good book. I want to read it again. Yeah. So we can more or less leave it there. I don't want to dwell on her death too much because I feel like we always do that and it's a big bummer. She couple published a couple more books, including one that was labeled controversial because one of the characters got her period. Oh my <gasps> god. In a in a book? I know. You can't Where talk boys about menstruation. Could see? Mm-hmm. What if someone with a uterus reads it and realizes that what they're going through is normal? We can't have that. Be monstrous. She died in 1974 at the age of 46. She mm, had a too young. brain aneurysm, which is incidentally my greatest fear in all the land. Uh, she left. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to laugh. <laughs> Just like I'm so scared of that because it could happen at any time. Right now, we could be talking, and then boom, aneurysm gone no control you're in a very low risk of having a brain aneurysm you've never had a blood clot to my knowledge to my knowledge i don't go to the doctor that often or stroke not as far as i know i feel like i'd probably know that though probably or like a massive head injury okay i'm probably fine it's still very scary to me it could happen at any time but it's treatable and it's not always a just just talking and then all of a sudden you're not talking ever again that's only in, like, if you have, like, a huge aneurysm in a very, like... Well, those are the only ones that are portrayed in movies and film and books. Anyway, one of the books... <laughs> I'm just saying, like, maybe you don't have to be as scared of them as you are. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it doesn't keep me up at night. Oh, okay. But, like, if I think about aneurysms, I'm like, ah, shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know you didn't want to dwell on her death, so you can cut all this out if you want. No. We put work into this. We'll see. Did we'll we? see how charming it is. I don't know. She left behind quite a bit of unfinished or unpublished works, um, and many of them were published posthumously. One of which was Sport, which was another sequel to Harriet the Spy about her oh. friend Sport. It was published in 1979, and it contained this quote that I can't get out of my head. Um, so he said, If you ever get in real trouble, don't panic. Sit down and think about it. Remember two things always. There must be some way out of it, and there must be humor in it somehow. Somewhere. Shit. Throughout all of her books, Louisa's stories tell kids to be true to themselves, to refuse to conform, and to risk rejection while finding your own way. It will be painful, but you will survive. When baby guys read Harriet the Spy now, it doesn't hit in quite the same way. It's still a really good story, but the fact that a girl is brash and wears blue jeans and wants to be a writer isn't revolutionary. Mm. I actually have never even considered that it might be unusual until I was doing research for this and realized that, oh, in the mid-60s, girls weren't like that. Now there's so much more queer visibility in literature and a wide, wide variety of the types of characters that we see in young adult novels, and we owe it all to books like Harriet the Spy and authors like Louise Fitzhugh who are able to capture that spirit and bust down the doors of what was acceptable in novels for children. And that's everything I know about Louise Fitzhugh. Well, all right. Any thoughts? Before we move on to our next ending 
I had a thought immediately where, which was, well, I bet you know what color her hair is. Is it brown? Harriet? Wait. Or Louise? Louise. It's brown. Yeah. So that's everything you know. Oh, okay. You knew a little more. I do. I know more. Okay. So when I said (laughs) that was everything I knew, there are things that I cut because otherwise this would be a 10 hour podcast. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you look Mm -hmm. up pictures of her, which we'll post on our various social medias, like she's got a little sparkle in her eye. Which, you know, I'm, I'm into. It's my number one thing I look for in a romantical partner. Uh-huh, that eye uh-huh. sparkle. Uh, Thanks I, for teaching me about Louise. Yes. Or Willie, as she was called. Or Willie, too. I her still friends. called her um, Louise because, you know. We're not, we're not her friends. We're acquaintances. We don't have that. Mm-hmm. We're not we there yet. We don't have her consent to call her Willie. Wrap this thing up. Yeah, let's do it. Thank you, as always, to Leslie for our beautiful logo. Uh, does Leslie have a plug this week? Yes, she does. Leslie wants to plug, your actions have a wider ripple effect than you can imagine. Try to make those reactions a positive experience for those they affect. Thank you, Leslie. Thanks, Leslie. Uh, you can support us on Patreon, as we mentioned, at patreon.com slash vintagelespod for even more vintage lesbians and exclusive content. Definitely create it. We <laughs> promise. It's going to happen. We both look, were recently diagnosed look. with ADHD. <laughs> And life has started to make a lot more sense. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at VintageLesPod, or send us an email at VintageLesPod at gmail.com. Shan, how do I spell that? You spell that Vintage L-E-S-P-O-D. You can also follow us on our personal pages. I am at Allison Humphreys. I am at JustaShan underscore. Um, you can also add me on CoStar and find out if we would be compatible as friends or loved ones at Allison was here. A-L-I-S-O-N. Oh, shit. I think I'm also was just here. A, I'm, I think I'm also just a Shan on CoStar. I'm just checking. I'm checking. I'm just Shan. Just Shan. At just Shan. Just Shan. On CoStar. You know. Mm-hmm. If you want to see how the universe is kicking me in the ribs today. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Vintage Lesbians. We love you we so love much. We love you. Bye. Bye. And that was Vintage Lesbians. Love is love, bitches. Gays are incredible.